Before we begin to, before we preach, before I preach God's word, uh, let's read His word together. Um, so, if you guys have your Bibles, uh, if you could please turn to Psalm 16. Um, you know, I've been uh, meditating a lot in the Psalms lately, um, and I think it's a good thing to do for all Christians. But um, I've been meditating a lot on the Psalms because um, my wife and I are going through a lot of transitions in our lives. Um, we're going through um, a lot of interesting uh, leaps of faith. Uh, we. I just recently changed uh, churches. I accepted a call at Abbott, um, as um, was shared this morning. I'm the new assistant pastor there. Um, That has a lot of changes. Uh, My wife recently gave birth to our first child about three weeks ago. It's a huge change. Um, We just bought our first house uh, in Hollandtown uh, a little while ago, and we're going through renovations in that house. Another big change. And so there's lots of uh, interesting uh, things that God has called us to do, Uh, interesting and difficult things that God has called us to do. And for me personally, uh, reading through the Psalms has been, has been very, um, very helpful, very good, uh, very challenging, very encouraging. Uh, but the one thing that, that reading through the Psalms has helped me to do is, is just to remember um, that God is, is trustworthy. Uh, and that he oftentimes asks us as Christians to go into tough places or to go through difficult situations. Um, but he, he does so uh, without leaving us. And he's, often, he's always with us in those situations, leading us uh, right by our side. And so, um, again, the Psalms, for me, has been, have been very encouraging. Hopefully, as we reread through Psalm 16 this morning, uh, it can also be encouraging to you. Um, so let's read together Psalm 16. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones, in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out, or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also, my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad, my whole being rejoices, my flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. This is the word of the Lord. Let's come to him now in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you that, that you've given us your word and that your word is effectual for our salvation. We pray, O oh God, that this time as we read your word, as we study your word, that you would make your word effectual, that your Holy Spirit would, would take the words that, that he has written and embed them deep in our hearts, that it may take root and bear fruit um, in everything that we do. So be with us now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> Now, I was uh, recently uh, online reading random news articles, and I, and I ran across this one ar- article. I think it was in the Huffington Post. Um, this article was, was basically about this insane story that happened. Um, this, this woman w- was driving down the road, and, and as she was driving down the road, for some reason, for some very odd reason, um, the car that she was driving suddenly veered off, off the road and struck this, uh, this motorcyclist. 
Uh, and this motorcycle was basically almost died because of, of what happened to this car. And you know, there, there was no real good reason why this car had veered off. You know, the, the car was in good working order. Uh, there was no construction. There were no like, potholes on the roads. Um, so the, the question was, was, why did this car veer off the road? Why did this car just suddenly hit this motorcyclist? And so the, you know, the, this, this, the, the police and everyone had interviewed this woman after the, after the fact. And basically what this woman had said was that as she was driving her car, she suddenly heard God speak to her. And God had told her, let go of the wheel. I'll, I'll make sure you get to where you're going. So this woman trusted God, or God's voice, and did just that. With, uh, you know, and after that, obviously, she hit this motorcyclist, and obviously it did not end as well as she hoped it to end. Now, we hear stories like this, uh, and maybe not as extreme as this kind of story, but we hear stories like this all the time, don't we? About Christians who trust God. People who trust God in, uh, in, in kind of weird and interesting ways. Um, and maybe you're sitting here this morning and asking yourself, you know, what does it mean to trust God? Um, does it mean just to listen to this voice in my head when it, when it tells me to let go of the wheel? Does it mean to listen to this voice that tells me to move to Africa uh, and, and work with, you know, with orphans? Does it mean, does, does it mean to, to, to listen to this voice to, to move across the country? Uh, does it mean I need to go up you know, and do something radical? Or what does it mean to trust God? You might be a Christian asking yourself this question this morning. You might be a non-Christian sitting here this morning um, maybe you've been introduced to the Christian faith by a friend. Maybe you're sitting here and, and because a friend invited you here. Um, maybe you have these questions, these deeper questions of faith. Of what does it mean to walk with Christ? What does it mean to trust in him? What does it mean to be a Christian? Well, hopefully as we study Psalm 16, um, we can begin to answer some of these questions and consider them uh, and, and see what the psalm has to tell us about trusting in God. And this passage, Psalm 16, was written by King David. Um, and King David um, was arguably the greatest king in Israel's history. We can read all about him and, and his life and what, he's, what he did uh, if we read 1 Samuel 16 all the way through 1 Kings chapter 2. So his life then spans a, a large portion uh, of, of the Old Testament. If, if you read through his life and, and, and if you know anything about his life, um, you'll know that his life... Would, would make for a very interesting, uh, interesting movie. Uh, for some reason, very recently, there, there's been a lot of uh, biblical movies being made, uh, or at least movies about biblical characters. Um, Noah uh, just, just came out, and there's also a movie about Moses coming out in the near future. Um, and I've always thought to myself that David's life would actually be like the, the best, like, epic movie, like very Braveheart-esque uh, movie to make. Um, you know, his, his life and, and involves things like scandals, sex scandals, um, love, like, interests, weird things going on in this family with love, and violence, and wars, and great epic battles. Um, has, has everything that you would ever want uh, in an epic uh, story. But David also experienced many difficult situations, many trying situations, many situations in his life that really tested his trust in God. When we read Psalm 16, we get a sense of this um, of something that happened in David's life. And we get a hint that, that Psalm 16 is about a trying situation in David's life from the, from the title. Um, if you guys have uh, some, cer- some certain uh, translations of the Bible, will have uh, a verse zero in, in chapter 16. And 
you don't have a verse zero, maybe uh, in, the, in the very beginning of the, of the psalm, you have these words in um, italics. And it says here, a miktum of David. Now, this word miktum uh, is, admittedly, it's a word that we don't really know what exactly it means. Um, some people think it's, it's a musical term. Um, it might be um, uh, something that's an, an instrument that was played um, in, the, in the ancient, ancient Near East that we don't know what it is now. It might have some other kind of significance that we don't really, we're not really sure what it means. But there are several other psalms that have this title, this, this, uh, this word miktum in it. Um, psalm 56, 57, 59, and 60, among others. And all of these psalms um, are, are things that are, are psalms about difficult times in David's life. When we read Psalm 56, we read the inscription that says, When the Philistines seized him in Gath. Psalm 57 says, When he fled from Saul in the cave. Psalm 59 says, when, when Saul sent men to watch his house in order to kill him. And Psalm 60 says, When he strove with Aram Naharim and with Aram Zobah, and when, jo- when Joab, on his return, struck down 12,000 of Edom in the Valley of Salt. And so, when I read the word miktam, and when I read these psalms that include this word miktam, I get the sense that these, all these psalms are written in response to a difficult situation that, that David experienced. And it wasn't just David uh, you know, talking about a difficult situation or complaining about what happened or, or just sh- sharing some kind of sorrows. But each of these psalms comes back to the fact that in these difficult situations, in these trying times, in these trying moments of David's life, he came back and he remembered how God is so trustworthy, how God delivered him. So these psalms reaffirm his trust, his continuing trust in God, in the God who saved him. And so David, again, just expresses a supreme confidence, confidence in God because of of, of what he's done for him. Now we too uh, must share David's trust in God. Um, Although we have probably never battled the Philistines or we've never uh, faced, you know, Goliath or we've never had to flee from Saul in a cave, all of us have experienced some kind of difficulty in our lives. And all of us, have experienced the ultimate difficulty in battling our sin. See, no matter who we are, Christian or non-Christian, we all know that we have uh, things in our lives that maybe aren't so good, maybe aren't so perfect, things that we struggle with, um, things that we, we, we you know, try to overcome, try to do better at, but constantly fail to do, to do well. The good news of the gospel is that God has rescued us from our sin. God has cleansed us from this, the, the, these failures, these, these iniquities. And he did this through his son, Jesus Christ. The gospel is that Jesus Christ, though he was perfect and sinless, died for us in order to cleanse us from our sin and to reconcile us to God. This is, is the great thing that God has done to prove that he is trustworthy, that he is the one who saves us. And so for us, what that means is that going forward in our lives, Whatever difficulty that we face, whatever t- uh, times of hardships or sufferings or, or trying circumstances that we might go through, we can look to God as our sure source of help. And so what I want to really emphasize this morning is that we must trust God because he has proven that he is trustworthy through the gospel, through the life, death, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, we must trust God because he is our source of true help. And I want to then parse out what exactly it means to trust in God. 
And there are three ways that I see in, in this psalm that David trusts God. And there, and there are three things that I, I've, I've attached uh, three S words to. The first uh, is that we must trust that God's help is sufficient. Second, we must trust uh, in God, trusting God's help requires submission. And third, trust in God's help is selfless. So sufficiency, submission, and selfless. So first, trust that God's help is sufficient. And when, um, as, a, as a new father, um, and as you guys who have children or have ever cared for children, you know that kids make a lot of messes. Um, my daughter, for some reason, likes to throw up at least once a day. Um, and at first it was a bit disarming. I was, I was very concerned, like, why is she throwing up? Oh my gosh, do I need to go to the hospital? What's going on? Now it's just a, real, a, a big pain in the butt because I need to you know, take her clothes off and throw in the laundry. I think we must do at least like one or two loads of laundry every day. Um, and it's a, little, a couple little things here and there, but we're washing a lot of clothes nowadays. Um, well, if you guys have ever done, you know, you know, done laundry or, or, or done uh, kids, laundry, kids' clothes, you know that good laundry detergent is very crucial. Um, you need to have a detergent that's going to take out stains on the first shot. Um, you don't want a detergent that, you know, you have to pre-soak something or you have to, like, you know, run it through a, a one cycle first or you have to use shout a couple times. We want detergent that works the first time, the only time that we use it. Well, this is what it's like with God. God is, in a sense, like the best detergent that we could ever use. He is fully sufficient in his help. Now, David, in this, in this psalm, confesses that God is the only source of help that he needs. He doesn't need to go to any secondary sources. He doesn't need to go to, like, his backup options. David doesn't, doesn't even have any backup options for help. God is his one and only source of help. <clears throat> and we see that first in verse 2. When David professes that, Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. And this word Lord is a term of uh, singularity. There, there's no such thing as having two lords or, or two masters or more than one lord or master. We can only have one lord or master. So for David to say, Lord, you are my Lord, he's again professing that God is his only master, that he is the only one. That he, uh, it's, it's God and nothing else. David again confesses uh, that, that God is his only source of help in verses 3 through 4 when he compares the saints in the land to the idolaters. Now back in ancient Near East, um, syncretism was, was, was rampant, even in, within Israel. And the people would, would, would take and borrow things from all the other religions around them. They, they would take some stuff from, 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 uh, from the Yahweh, from, from, uh, some stuff from other false idol, idols and gods, Again, and even in Israel. It was so bad in Israel that in Israel, the people would set up these Asherah poles and other items of, of idolatry right next to, or sometimes even within, the temple itself. And they sacrificed idols in order to receive their help. You know, they would sacrifice to the fertility gods uh, during times of harvest. They would sacrifice uh, to the weather gods. They would sacrifice to the gods of war before battles um, in order to get their help in addition to God's. Now, David obviously disapproves of the idolaters while approving of those who worship God alone. And this, again, signifies for, that for David, there was no such thing as other gods. It was God, it was Yahweh, and no one else. 
Again, in verses 5 through 6, David acknowledges that God is his treasured blessing. Here we find more language uh, that, that for David, God was it. God was the best, the only option for him. He says, the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lots. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. Now, all these words, the, 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 the chosen portion, this could be translated as the portion of my portion. Um, and this uh, reduplication, this emphasis on being his portion, just emphasizes that for David, there was no other portion. Nothing else mattered. Uh, the fact that David uh, mentions uh, in, in verse 6 uh, this beautiful inheritance that he's received. When sons in the ancient Near East, uh, you know, they, they, when, when their fathers would pass away, their fathers would give to them an inheritance. You know, it, it, a son did not have two fathers to get inheritance from. And so for a son, for his future, his only uh, source of future hope was in the inheritance that he received from his father. And so for David to, to, to mention this beautiful inheritance, again, it emphasizes that for David, God was his father from whom he was receiving his inheritance from. Now for us, again, we likewise, just as David looked to God alone as his sufficient source of, 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 of help, we must also remember that God is our only source of, of hope. He is our source of help. We don't need to, to hedge our bets with God. Um, diversification is a great, great, great strategy in, in terms of building our financial portfolio. Right? We should invest in many different sources of, 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 of things and many different kinds of, of, uh, of financial things. You know, obviously, I'm, I'm not an expert in financial stuff, so I don't, I don't know the exact terms. My portfolio, I, I hand it over to my investment people, and they, and they, they do that stuff. Um, but diversification is a terrible strategy for salvation. Romans 1, 16 to 17 this is one of the, the, the hallmark verses uh, that, that I think just emphasizes what we believe as, as Christians. Um, here Paul says that he believes in the power of the gospel, that, he, that the gospel is the power of salvation for all, for salvation. The gospel and nothing else. There is, no, there is no such thing as the gospel plus one or the gospel in addition to other things. For Paul and for us, we, we believe that the gospel what God has done for us in Christ is the only thing that we need. That God's help is sufficient for us. This means that the gospel doesn't need any help in order to save us. But this also means that the gospel cannot fail to save us. And it will not, and, and it will not fail to save us. And this is a great hope uh, no matter you know, what we're going through. Um, whatever difficulty or trials we're going through, God's help is sufficient for us. And although the gospel is fully sufficient to help us, this doesn't mean that we are completely off the hook. In other words, we should not just let go and let God. The second point that I want to emphasize here is that trusting God requires submission. Charles Blondin was one of the very first people to, to cross. Uh, he, was, he was an incredible acrobat, incredible um, gymnast, but his biggest thing, uh, name to fame, call to fame, is that he was a great tightrope walker. And he was one of the very first people to cross Niagara Falls on a tightrope. Um, when he first performed this stunt, crowds of, of thousands of people gathered on both sides of, 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 the, of the falls in order to see him do this. And he, would, he proceeded to walk across this tightrope, you know, forwards and then backwards. 
And then he rode a bicycle across this tightrope. And then he you know, did all these other things um, across this tightrope. Finally, he brought out this wheelbarrow. And he asked the crowds, do you believe, do you trust that I can push a man across the, the, this tightrope in this wheelbarrow? And the crowds emphatically you know, screamed, yes, we believe, yeah. But then he asked, which one of you will jump in this wheelbarrow and let me push him across? And the crowds fell silence. See, trusting God is not just something that we say or we claim to do, but something that we do. Um, trusting God is reflected by our actions, by our submission. See, David acknowledged God's position of, of authority in his life. And it wasn't just like a, a thing that he just said. It wasn't just um, something that he just affirmed with his mouth, but he, believed, he, he did these things. Um, he says in verse 7, he, he blesses God um, for giving him counsel. He says, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. Again in verse 8 he says, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. These references of being before David, of being at his right hand, are references to positions of authority and power. See, for David, uh, trusting in God wasn't just a Sunday exercise. It wasn't just about going to temple. Uh, it wasn't just about you know, making some offerings here and there. But it was about following God's lead every single day of his life. It was about trusting and submitting to God on a daily basis. In the same way, our submission to God, whether or not we obey him, reflects our trust in him. Now, we often think that, that God gave us laws and God gave us guidelines and God gave us statutes uh, in order to limit our joy. Um, you know, just like oftentimes kids think that their parents are like killjoys for telling them to not jump on the couch or you can't climb trees or you can't cross the street. Um, God, we think God has somehow given us these things because he doesn't want us to enjoy uh, the things in life. And a good example of this is, is what God teaches us about sex. Um, see, God gave us sex in the context of marriage to, enjoy between, to be enjoyed between a man and a woman in marriage, in commitment to one another. But oftentimes this world tells us something far different. That sex is something for us that we can enjoy on our own terms um, with whoever or whenever we want to. Um, and the, 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 the furthest extreme of, of, of this, I, I believe, is the, our culture's um, almost infatuation with pornography. Um, pornography, we, we think, is, is the greatest expression of, of our desire just to, that we can have sex whenever and with whomever we want to. But scientific studies have shown that people who, who indulge in pornography and those who are addicted to pornography actually have a less enjoyable sex with their, with their partners. And sex becomes not about, you know, it, it loses all the things that God has designed it for us to do. It becomes rote. It becomes mechanical. It becomes something that's not enjoyable at all. And so rather than keeping us from good, God's laws about sex are actually for our good. It's, it, they're meant to preserve this good thing that God has given us. And this, is, this, this can be applied to a plethora of God's laws that he gave us. Do we think that God's laws are just here to, to limit our enjoyment? Or do we truly believe that God gave us these laws, that God has told us what to do and what not to do for our blessings? It's important for us that if we are trusting God, that if we, are, if we, if we claim to trust God, that we 
affirm the, that, that trust through our actions, that we reflect that trust in whether or not we submit to God, whether we, we do what he wants us to do, whether, whether we obey um, the things that he wants us um, to do and to not to do. Now, although it is absolutely necessary to trust that God's help is sufficient and to reflect our trust through our submission, the reality is that we will all fail to do these things. Instead of, of trusting God that he is sufficient, instead of submitting to him perfectly, we often struggle with doubt and disobedience. But the good news of the gospel is that our failures to trust God cannot undo what God has done for us. And this is because trust in God's help ultimately is selfless. Now by selfless, I mean that trusting in God's help is ultimately not about us, but all about God. Selfies um, are all the rage today, uh, especially in social media. If you guys, if you have a selfie, if you don't know what a selfie is, a selfie is basically a picture that you take of yourself. Uh, and you know, with, with the advent of all these new like, phones with the you know, front-facing cameras and whatnot, it's so easy to take selfies. Um, but if you don't know what a selfie is, go to the mall or go to any, any public place and watch people for a while, and they'll inevitably stop and take a selfie somewhere along the line, maybe multiple times. Um, well, a selfie, right, is, again, it's, it's, it's a picture of us. But God's help is not about us. God's help is not a selfie. Trusting in, God's help, trusting in God's help is not a selfie. Trusting in help is all about God. It's, it's about what God has done for us and what God continues to do for us. David, in verses 9 through 10, has complete confidence um, in the resurrection. We see here in verse, nine, in verse 10, it says, For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. The Sheol was, was basically, it's, it was this ancient Near Eastern uh, idea, this place where, where uh, you go after you, you die. Like, so, you know, we, we are here today in the land of the living. Um, Sheol was like just death. It doesn't necessarily refer to hell, um, but it just refers to the, the, the land of the dead, where, where the dead people uh, are. And so David here is, is basically saying that the Holy One, right, will not remain in Sheol, will not be corrupted, will not be, remain in death, but will again be made alive. Now, who, though, is David talking about? Who is this holy one? Who is this, this, this one who will not be abandoned to death, who will not see corruption, who will not remain in corruption? Well, he's, well, he's talking about himself. And that's, that's it's, it's a very, um, I think, a very important question for us to consider because it changes the way we look at this entire psalm. Um, who is this holy one? See, David... Was, was, was not talking primarily about himself. And how do I know this? How do we know this? Well, first of all, David was not holy. And we can know that just by reading his story, just even, even just skimming through it, because once we do that, we're gonna, we'll, we'll see numerous times where David himself sinned numerous times. Um, he failed to, to trust that God's help was sufficient when he counted his, his army, to take a census of his army against God's commands. We, we know that, that, that David failed to submit to God fully um, because he, he failed to go out with his army into battle. And then as a result, he fell into adultery and he fell into murder. David was not this holy one. David himself would confess that he was not the holy one that he's talking about. But we find um, extra evidence of this in Acts 2, 
When we turn to Acts 2, we find Peter, who gave the first, uh, during his first sermon at Pentecost, preached about this very psalm, Psalm 16. And he claims, and he, he asserts that David was not talking about himself. Instead, David was talking about Jesus Christ. You see, this psalm is all about Jesus. Jesus, the one who trusted God perfectly. This was not about David claiming to be perfect, claiming to, to have perfect trust in God. This is not David claiming to be the one who, you know, who we should emulate and, and trust. Instead, David was saying that Jesus Christ is the one that we should look to. David is, uh, Jesus Christ is the one who trusted God perfectly, and we should look to Christ. Jesus is the one who trusted God perfectly when he emptied himself by taking a human nature. Jesus Christ is the one who trusted God perfectly by being born as an infant, by not coming to this world as a mighty warrior or an adult or a, a king, but by coming to this world as an infant, by being willing to be, to be taken care of by earthly parents and raised by, you know, by these parents. He trusted uh, God perfectly by experiencing all the limitations of a human nature for over 30 years. He trusted God perfectly by suffering on the cross and by ultimately being killed on this cross and by being buried in the grave. But the absolute good news of the gospel is that Jesus Christ did not remain in the grave. He did not remain dead. He did not remain under the curse of death. But instead, God rewarded Jesus' trust and obedience by raising him from the dead. This is who David is talking about, especially when we read verse 11, when, when David says, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Jesus is the path of life. In John 14, verse 16, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus gives us fullness of joy. In John 15, 11, he says, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Jesus grants us access to pleasures forevermore. When Christ was on the cross, um, in, in the last moments of his life, he was flanked on either side by two criminals, two men who were being crucified for their, for their sins, for, the, for their, their crimes. Um, the one sinner on, on one, one side turned to Jesus at this time and said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Christ turned to him, and he said, Truly I say to you, today you'll be with me in paradise. Trusting in God ultimately is not about us. Our trust often wavers. We doubt all the time. I doubt all the time. And sometimes in our moments of doubt, we're tempted to think that our doubt somehow disqualifies us from what God has done for us. Somehow our, our doubt overcomes the gospel. But the truth is that tr our trust in God is ultimately less about us and all about God. Now, when we get into our cars in the morning to, to go to work, um, how many of us consider whether or not our cars will start? Well, some of us might because we have an older car or a junker or, or a clunker, but if we have a reasonably uh, well-working car, none of us thinks about whether or not our car will start. You know, we don't question it. We don't, we don't need to, to, to see a, a complete diagnostic report of the past 30 starts. We don't need to see all the safety recall notices from, from the manufacturer. We don't need to have measurable empirical evidence on whether or not our car will start before we turn the key. 
We simply get in our car, put the key in the ignition, and turn, knowing that it will start. In the same sense, this is what it means to trust God. Trusting God is not a, a complex, abstract, or mystical exercise that, we just, that only some of us have you know, the ability to do. Trusting God in reality is quite simple. God has saved us through the gospel. He sent his only son to die first on the cross and to be raised again to new life. In light of this, trust him. Trust Christ. Look to Jesus. Look to Christ. Trust that God's help is sufficient. Trust him by submitting to him. And trust that he helps us even when our trust is imperfect.